0: This morning I'd like to primarily look at Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9. We find as you begin reading the gospel of Matthew in the first four chapters, we have where the Lord Jesus Christ's credentials as the Son of God, who became the Son of Man but also came as the King of the Jews, were established. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we find the characteristics of the Lord's kingdom. And then beginning in chapter 8... We find the power of the king is on display now what good would a king be if he didn't have power right but Christ had power and authority and he begins to unleash it here in the eighth chapter of Matthew in Matthew chapter 8 and 9 we have 12 miracles that are laid out before us in rapid succession now you might ask the question, why, why didn't Christ perform miracles? Well, first of all, he performed miracles in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The prophets had declared that he would. Isaiah 53, 4 is one of those passages. In fact, it's referred to here in one of the miracles that we'll speak about. Where it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, sometimes we might think about that on the cross, but that didn't have anything to do with the cross. It had to do with his ministry here. If you look at 1 Peter 2.24, we find where it says the Lord Jesus Christ took our, our sins and his own body to the tree of the cross, that we being dead to sin might live unto righteousness, for by his stripes we are healed. Now that's the cross. Isaiah 53 4 is his ministry. So he performed miracles to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. He performed miracles among the Jewish people also to bring a testimony of his judgment on them. Because they rejected him as the Son of God and as the promised Messiah. Just like the Lord performed ten miracles in the land of Egypt. Uh, Those miracles were a judgment against the idols of the Egyptians. And it was after the 10th miracle, of course, the death of the firstborn, that God then brought his people out of the land of Egypt in the hand of Moses. There are three distinct periods of public miracles, you might say, in history. Uh, The land of Egypt was the first one. The second one took place during the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. The two of them together performed many, many, many miracles. They were done in a public setting. And then in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles. The miracles were credentials as to who Christ was. Again, we find him established as the king of Israel in the first four chapters. The Sermon of the Mount declared the characteristics of his kingdom. Remember how the Beatitudes go? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the mourn, for they shall be uh, you know, they shall, also, uh, they shall uh, also be mourned. He says, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, uh, et cetera, et cetera. These are characteristics of the Lord's kingdom. But here, beginning in chapter 8, we're going to find miracles uh, that are going to uh, be in many different categories. And we're going to find where Christ obviously was totally successful in every one of these miracles that he performed. And it's very interesting, I think, as you break these miracles up into different categories. Um, First of all, five of these 12 miracles were performed in the city of Capernaum. The city of Capernaum rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. More miracles were performed there than anywhere else. And yet he was not received there. That's pretty interesting to me. And so we begin here in this first uh, miracle we find a leper comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, leprosy throughout the scripture uh, is a picture of sin. And the 13, 14 chapters of Leviticus give us detailed information about this. And you go back and study Leviticus 13, you'll find, and I'm just summarizing here, you'll find that leprosy went deeper than the skin, and sin does likewise. Sin is throughout the entire person, it's not just outward, it's inward. And then we find that it spreads. Leprosy would spread, and and sin spreads. It's contagious. It's very contagious. It spreads. And then we find that leprosy could only be cured, of course, by a miraculous intervention of God. And the same thing with sin. Outside of the miraculous intervention of God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ... Uh, we would die in our sins. It requires the miraculous intervention of the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that the leper had to declare himself to be unclean. If he saw you coming toward him, he was declared unclean, unclean, that you might know not to approach any closer to him because he had this leprosy. Now, this leper here that comes to Christ is not going to observe that. He believes by faith that Christ can heal him, and Christ will, and Christ touched him. Now, when Christ touched him, Christ became contaminated, so to speak, with the uh, being defiled by touching a leper. And then, though, we find the leper benefited from Christ touching him in the fact that the power of Christ removed the leprosy from him. Now, we, I think we see a picture of the work of Christ in this here as we read over in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, it says, For Christ himself became sin for us, and you know sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When Christ died on the cross, he took all of our sins in his own body to the tree of the cross. So he defiled himself in that regard. But those who he took their sins in his own body to the tree of the cross benefited from his perfectness, his sinlessness, and so his righteousness was imputed to them. It's called the doctrine of uh, imputation in that when Christ hung upon the cross as the Son of God, He represented God. As the Son of Man, He represented man. And all the sins of all the elect family of God were charged to the Lord Jesus Christ, but the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ was imputed or charged to those whom He represented on the cross. So Christ is going to heal this leper. Now, Leviticus chapter 14 you'll find that when the leper had been cleansed and he had to come to the examination of the priest who had to examine him to be able to determine this and to declare this, certain things took place. He would take two birds and one would be slain over running water in an earthen vessel. And then you'll find where the living bird was dipped into the blood of the slain bird. Then he was released and he flew away. Then you'll find the blood, again, of the slain bird was put on the right ear of the cleansed leper and on the right thumb of the cleansed leper and on the right big toe of the cleansed leper. And then the priest was to take oil and sprinkle the leper and take the oil and put it upon the blood that was on the ear, the thumb, and the toe. Now I've left out quite a few details. Go back there and read all this by just giving you a highlight. So what what does that tell us here? Well, the bird that was slain is a picture of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that he was slain over running water uh, in, in an empty vessel. That vessel represents, the, I think, the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was willing to come here into this world, take upon himself a body of flesh and blood. And then we find when that bird is released, that's a picture of his resurrection. And then the blood... Was applied, and notice the three areas it was applied. And every time a child of God is born of the Spirit of God, we find that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was slain for him on Calvary is personally and individually applied in his life. When you were quickened and made alive in Christ, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was applied to you vitally when he raised you from a state of death and sin to a state of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Prior to that experience, you did not have a hearing ear. Prior to that experience, you had no desire to serve. Prior to that experience, you had no desire to walk in newness of life. But after that experience, you were given a hearing ear. So the blood is applied to the ear. You then had a desire, hopefully you did anyway, to serve him. The blood on the, thumbs of, the thumb of his right hand indicates service. And then you should have a desire to walk in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, walk in the old paths, walk in the pathways of righteousness, walk and follow Him in the pathway of discipleship. That has to do with the blood being applied to the big toe of the right foot. The oil that was applied to the blood symbolizes the Spirit of God uh, when you were anointed with that. So we find the leper comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what it says about him here. He, he says, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. He had great faith in the power of God, power of Christ, but he didn't know if it was going to be the will of Christ to do so. Now let me just point this out this morning. God is sovereign in all matters and all things. And God is under no obligation to heal anybody in a physical way. Thank God he has and thank God he does but he's not under obligation to heal every single infirmity and affliction that a child of God has. Let's suppose that he did. You know what the result would be? You never would die. He healed you every single time you got sick, every time you had a physical infirmity, then you would never die. See, the Apostle Paul was delivered many times by God, but he eventually died. The Apostle Peter was delivered many times by God himself. Eventually he died. How many times was David delivered? Time and time and time again, eventually he died, right? And we could go on and on and on with this. But God has healed and does heal. You remember the king Hezekiah, it was revealed to him he was going to die, turned his back to the wall, and he began to weep and got his house in order. And the Lord answered that prayer and told Isaiah to go and put a lump of figs upon the place that was causing his sickness and he told him he said I've heard thy prayer and I've seen thy tears now thee I'll add 15 years he would have died 15 years before he did had not God intervened on his behalf but it pleased God to do so so sometimes it's God's will to do so and sometimes it's not now the leper says I know thou art able notice again the language and he said if thou wilt thou can make me clean and Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. It didn't take a while. Immediately he was cleansed. And then the Lord told him, He says, Go and tell no man. Now, why did the Lord perform miracles? Well, one of our told you to fulfill prophecy. Number two, it displayed how much he cared for his people. Number three, it showed his compassion. Number four, it showed his great power. Now, he tells a man, go and tell no man, which tells me Christ did not perform miracles to gather big multitudes of crowds. He didn't do it for that reason. Now, multitudes followed him sometimes for different reasons, like John chapter 6. They followed him for the loaves and the fishes. They followed him because of the great miracles he was performing. But Christ never performed a miracle in order to draw a crowd in fact, repeatedly he tells those he did miracles to to go and tell no man. So he tells the leper here to go and tell no man. But go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. We then have a, a man, a centurion, that comes to Christ. Now I want you to notice something the first three miracles that Christ performs at different people are going to be considered. Uh, lightly esteemed even outcast Among the Jewish people that day Certainly the leper was an outcast Right? The leper was an outcast Now we find a centurion And you're going to read about Numerous centurions in the New Testament And in every case Those that's recorded in the New Testament Turned out to be upright Honest men Of compassion and concern Now I'm not saying all centurions Were but I'm telling you the ones that's recorded In the scriptures were and this man is no exception. A centurion was a Roman soldier. He was in charge of 100 so- soldiers in the Roman army. And he's got a servant that has palsy, and he's grieved terribly with this. Now, the man's name is not given to us, but we learn a lot about this man. This man loved his servant. This man had compassion on his servant. Uh, this centurion, he had the power to have said, well, if he's sick, he can't benefit me, so let's just replace him. Uh, just you know, take him away and bring me somebody that's strong and healthy, that can do the things that I need him to do. But he doesn't do that. He has compassion upon this man, and he comes to the Lord. Now, a couple things about this. The centurion was a soldier, but he comes to a man of peace. The Lord Jesus Christ is the prince of peace. A soldier is a man of conflict, a man of battle, uh, military So this man who's a soldier is going to come to a man of peace. The centurion is a Gentile. And the Gentiles were outcasts as far as the Jews was concerned. So this centurion, that's a a man of war, a soldier, is going to come to a man of peace. This Gentile is going to come to a Jew, the Lord Jesus Christ being a Jew. He's going to come on behalf of someone else. He's going to come on behalf of his servant. Now the Lord gives this reply when he comes, he said, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick, palsy, grievously tormented. Now policy was a slow, paralyzing type disease. The centurion answered and he said, Lord, well the Lord says, I will come and heal him. The Lord just answers immediately. But notice the centurion here. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. He didn't believe Jesus had to change location. He didn't think the Lord had to actually come and follow him to where he was at to heal him. He could just speak the word. He recognized Jesus as a man of authority. And he's going to go on and say to the Lord, he said, I'm a man of authority as you. I'd say to this servant, go, and he'll go. This servant, come, he'll come. Tell this servant to do something, and he'll do it. I know all you have to do is speak the word, and my servant shall be healed. That's what Jesus is going to do. Just like that man gave a command to a servant to go and he went, Jesus is going to command that palsy to be removed and his servant is going to be healed. He just spoke the word. Now notice uh, what the Lord says about him. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I unto you I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. Now you would think that's where he'd find great faith in Israel. They had been God's chosen nation for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They had a tremendous history of what God had done for them. They had the oracles of God. As Paul asked this question, Romans 3.1, What advantage did the have the Jews? He says, Much in every way, for in them were committed the oracles of God. God gave them the ceremonial law. He gave them the civil law. He gave them the moral law. He gave them the prophets. He gave them the Levitical priesthood. But yet, he didn't find this kind of faith among them. He found it among, uh, in, in the life of a Gentile. Now, two different times, Christ marveled. He marvels here at the great faith of this centurion. Go to Mark chapter 6, and you'll find where he marvels at the unbelief of the Jewish people in his home country. Two, two times he marveled. Great faith, basically no faith. He says, this man, I have not found so great a faith in all of Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west who shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast down to outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What do you mean children shall come from the east and the west? And she'll sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Obviously, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are dead. So they can't literally, physically sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. But God used Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to form the nation of Israel and to establish the kingdom of the Jews in the Old Testament day. These three men, obviously, are three of the most famous men in Israel's history. And the Jews knew all about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All three are listed in Hebrews chapter 11, as workers of faith, heroes of faith. All three are listed there. So they knew what Jesus meant. This is Jewish language. The Jews knew what he meant when he said, For many shall come from the east and the west, both directions, and they'll sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob if they walk by faith and believe who I am. But he said, But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out. That's the Jews. The Jews, Jewish people, shall be cast out into outer darkness, and they shall be weeping. And nation of teeth. That's just a picture. And language it shows a severe judgment that God is going to bring upon the nation of Israel. Now, and Jesus said unto the centurion, "Go thy way and be as thou hast believed, and it shall be done unto thee." And his servant was healed in the same self same hour. He found out that when Jesus spoke the word, his servant was healed of the palsy, just that quick. And then we find where he goes into the household of Peter, and Peter's mother is laying sick with a fever. Now, a fever is an indication that you have an infection. It's a, you know, your body's fighting that, it produces a fever. Uh, but we're not told what the infection was. We're not told what the sickness was. We're not told what the infirmity was. But the fact she had a fever and laying down indicates she was sick from something. And the Lord went and touched her. Just like he touched the leper. Notice what it says. And he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and ministered unto them. That's all it says about it. But it says there's more here than what's written. You know, I was uh, talking to Sister Karen Stump and asked her about Brother Stump. And he's at home and he's, he's gradually improving, slow, slowly. But they have told her uh, that his age of 85 that his recovery from these things is going to take a long time. Now, how many times have you spoke to people who's had some type of sickness, and basically they're healed of it, but they're not back strong yet? They say, well, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. It's going to take a week or two. You just don't get over it overnight, especially when you get to a certain age. The older you get, the more difficult it becomes. That's not the case here. The Lord healed her of her fever. Whatever caused the fever is now gone. The Lord heals her. And she arose and ministered. She received instant strength. She not only was healed of what caused the fever, and the fever went away, but her strength and health was restored immediately. And what did she do? She arose and ministered. That tells you something about Peter's mother. She desired to be useful. She desired to help. She desired to minister. And as soon as she's healed of that, she began to minister to the Lord Jesus Christ and the disciples. Now that might seem like a minor miracle compared to healing the leper, compared to healing the man with the palsy. But there are no minor miracles. It took the same power to heal Peter's mother of the fever that did the man with the palsy or the leper. A miracle is a supernatural intervention of God uh, to, uh, for something to take place that normally could not take place. So it don't, it don't take more strength from the Lord. You know, when we do jobs around the house, we might uh, do some things that do not require much strength. Others requires a lot of strength. Uh, some is a pretty light task. Some is a heavy task. I don't ever see that with God. I don't see God having to deal with things, and this is light and this is heavy, one thing and another. God just does it. But this miracle of healing Peter's mother of a fever has big results. Notice what follows. When the evening was come, this immediately following what he did for Peter's mother, they brought in him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. <laughs> you see, the blessings in the home should spread into the community. The blessings in your household should not stay within your household. When news got out that Peter's mother was healed, they must have known all about it. They said, well, let's let's go to where Jesus is. And he brought many to where he was at. And the Bible says he healed every one of them and cast out evil spirits and devils. Over here in the book of Acts 10 and 38, you're going to find where the apostle Peter, who's with the Lord Jesus Christ in all these instances here, witnessed him healing his mother here, you're going to find where Peter tells Cornelius that God anointed Jesus with power and the Holy Ghost and he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. I spoke about Satan two or three weeks ago. I'm telling you, uh, the conflict between Jesus and the devil was continuous. When he cast out unclean spirits and cast out devils, you find good triumphing over evil, and you find light triumphing over darkness. He healed them all. He cast all the devils out. There was never a time that he didn't cast the devil out successfully. And this is the fulfillment of Isaiah, by the way. Isaiah 53, in verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs. All right? Surely he's done that. In our afflictions and our infirmities, he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is what Jesus is doing. He went about doing good. You know how Matthew 7 ends? Matthew 7, you know, uh, is the end of his Sermon on the Mount. It's according in Matthew 5, 6 and 7. The Lord says to his disciples, the last thing he says to them is this, I like that man who, doeth my, who heareth my word and doeth them to a wise man who built his house upon a rock and when the winds came and the, and the rain came, his house stood firm. When the storms come, his house stood because it was built upon a solid foundation. But I liken that man who heareth my sayings and doeth them not. Apparently, there's people like that, or oh, he wouldn't have said this. Who, I liken that man who heareth my sayings and doeth them not to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the storms came, the wind and the rain, the house didn't stand. It it fell apart. It was destroyed. The Lord, it makes a difference between a wise man and a foolish man. They both heard the word, but one did and one didn't. So after the Lord says that, we find the Lord begins a life of doing. He begins a life of doing. So what did Peter say to Cornelius? He says, he went about doing good. And you've heard me say this before, that's five words. And these five words summarize the life of the Lord in Jesus Christ, his ministry. He went about doing good. He's always went about doing good. Every day he lived, he went about doing good. And therefore, if we walk in the footsteps of Christ, we likewise need to be doing good. Galatians 6, 9, We have therefore opportunity let us do good unto all men, especially the household of faith. At the wedding in John chapter 2, we find the Lord's mother telling the disciples, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Then Jesus was a doing man. Jesus was always going about doing. In John chapter 8, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I always do those things that please my heavenly Father. He was a doing man. John 6, 38 and 39, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will. All that given me, I shall lose nothing, but he to the last day. He said, My will is his will, and I come to do the will of the Father. Do is an important word in the Scripture. So Christ now is doing. He heals the leper. He heals the centurion's servant. He heals Peter's mother. Mother, I'm calling as Peter's mother. Uh, it's actually his mother. Excuse me, his mother-in-law um, that he healed here. So that tells us Peter was married, and that's important to, uh, and when you consider some of the false things that said here in the religious world. Peter was a married man. This is his mother-in-law that Jesus has healed. When the news of this gets out, they bring many, they bring many there, and the Bible says he healed them all, casting out devils, and Peter says he healed all those that were oppressed of the devil. Once again, I want you to know that light triumphed darkness, and good triumphed evil. Now, we have what we call an interlude here, and we got we got a certain person that comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and says he's going to follow him. And the Lord tells him, the fox hath holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then another disciple comes and said, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. And the Lord said, let the dead bury the dead. So here's somebody dead that's going to bury somebody dead. That's what the Lord said do. So what's the Lord really saying here? The Lord is not teaching this man not to show proper respect. The Lord is teaching this man priorities. It's like this: let the spiritually dead bury the dead. And by the way, I'm not totally convinced the man was dead yet. Jews buried their dead immediately. Go look at Ananias and Sapphira in the Book of Acts, chapter five. If this man's dead, he was already dead. Father's already dead. I think he'd already buried him. But, you know, we kind of excel at making excuses, don't we? We kind of excel at that. We specialize in it, in fact. We're just good at it. You may not be good at anything else in life, but I guarantee you're good at making excuses. <laughs> I don't care who you might be. I ask somebody, you know, I said, somebody, how are you doing this? Well, I can't complain. I usually tell them, well, if I encouraged you, I bet you could. If I just gave you a little encouragement, that's all it would take, not a lot. Just a little encouragement, I bet you could just roll them out. So the Lord is teaching a man priorities here. So we come to the next set of these miracles. These had to do with outcasts. Had to do with a leper. Had to do with a Gentile. Had to do with a woman. The woman, uh, just she didn't have the same esteem in Jewish culture that day that the men had. I doubt very seriously a Pharisee would even took notice of Peter's mother-in-law. I doubt he'd have had any priority in his schedule to go see uh, Peter's mother-in-law but the Lord Jesus Christ did he cared about her he cared about the leper he cared about the servant that had the f- palsy of the uh, uh, centurion he cared about Peter's mother-in-law and he proved it and showed it his compassion his care and also his great power in doing this so now he entered into a ship and his disciples followed him and behold there rose a great tempest in the sea and so much that the ship was covered with the waves but he was asleep You know why the Lord was asleep in this situation here? Because he was walking perfectly in the will of God. When you're in the will of God, you can have a peace that passeth all understanding. When you're in the will of God, you can rest and you can sleep if the world's burning down all around your house. And brother, it's just about that close. This world is burning down. And the reason it doesn't shake me up any more than it does is because I strive, I try my best. I know I'll fall short and i fail, but I try my best to know what God's will is and to walk in that will. And when I do that, I can go to bed at night lay my head on a pillow and I can go to sleep. Because, see, I know the Lord's going to take care of everything. The Lord Jesus Christ is in the perfect will of the Father, so he goes in the ship and goes to sleep in the ship. But see, He's on a, a sea now that was known for its tumultuous waves, known for its great storms when it came upon Him. The Sea of Galilee was 13 miles from one end to the other and 8 miles wide. And storms come up oftentimes very quickly. And when they did, they came across the Sea of Galilee It produced great storms. And the Lord knew this storm was coming. He wasn't surprised by it. He didn't get caught uh, you know, by surprise that that storm came. And He could have kept the storm from coming, but He didn't do it. He allowed the storm to come. And these disciples are greatly afraid, fear. See, the Lord can replace your fear with courage. He can replace your weakness with strength. And these disciples are going to cry to the Lord, and here's what they said to Him. Now, you you need to compare what the other Gospels in Mark and Luke do in all these situations. You get additional information But they came to him and woke him and said, Lord, save us, we perish. And one of the other writers tells us, they said, Dost thou not care? They are questioning whether he cares or not. But they cried and said, Lord, save us, we perish. Now, here's one of those emergency prayers, here's one of those little quick prayers. That I like to tell God's people needs to fit right in between breakfast and noon, between noon and supper time. You know, you're going to thank the Lord at breakfast, noon, and supper time, right? When you get up, when you go to sleep, but somewhere in between, you got these emergency prayers. Lord, save us. Lord, help us. He said, Lord, save us. We perish. What was the Lord's response here? Did He find the same faith in them He found in the centurion? He didn't notice the contrast. He says, "Why are you fearful, O oh, ye of little faith?" What kind of faith did the centurion have? He had great faith. Here's a Gentile with great faith. Here are the disciples that's been with him, and now they're in the storm. They've witnessed these miracles already. Oh, ye of little faith, <laughs> why are you so fearful? And then the Lord spoke to the waves, spoke to the wind, said, Peace be still. And while there was a great storm, we have a great calm. We have great peace. I can assure you, God can give you a calmness equal to, the, to the, uh, the, the great storm in your life. He can give you a great peace equal to the great storm that comes in your life. His peace and his calmness will always equal or supersede whatever the storm was that's come along. And boy, they responded. They said, oh, what manner of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey his voice. The wind obeyed. The waves obeyed. The wind quit blowing. The waves quit beating in the ship. And they were amazed at and said, oh, what manner of man is this? I, what manner of man is this? <laughs> Do you know anybody like him? Can you compare him to somebody else? Can you say, well, you know, he reminds me of Joe. He reminds me of Bill. No, he don't remind you of Joe or Bill. <laughs> There's nobody he can remind you of. But he wants you to be reminded. I was... Um, Brother Tim and I went down to Stringer, Mississippi for a three-day meeting this weekend and uh, had a wonderful time, wonderful trip, greatly blessed, uh, well attended. I'll give you a good report. But I was talking to this good brother who's a member of Unity Primitive Baptist Church uh, down near the panhandle of Florida but it's in the edge of Mississippi. And in his work, he does a lot of work with naval, uh, the, na- the Navy, the military, the contractors, etc. And he had a meeting with the top brass, so to speak. And they had a $30 million contract they were talking about. But before he got there in his truck, he's listening to Grace Along Radio on his Apple, Apple, Apple Care. And he's found out if when he turns it off, if he doesn't go out back out of it, sometimes it'll just blurt out on his phone. <laughs> so they've had the meeting, and the meeting's about over. And he gets his phone out. When he does, all of a sudden, grace alone comes on, and it's me. (laughs) I'm preaching. And he said, you said these three words. You said, the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) He says, you were really going. And you said, the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody was startled and wondered what happened. And he said, well, sometimes the Lord just wants you to hear his name. Sometimes the Lord just wants you to hear his name. And what a name he's got, right? What manner of man is this? Even the winds and the seas obey his voice. A great calmness came as a result of a great storm. The Lord was sufficient to meet the needs of the disciples, was he not? And the fear they had was removed. When the storm was gone, the fear was gone. So we find a different category here of people. After this, we find two possessed with the devils coming out of the tombs. Now, uh, read Mark chapter 5 for the real details about this, and you're going to find where the Lord, Mark deals just one of these two that came out of the tomb. They're possessed with devils, and they've been bound with fetters and chains. Fetters were ankle shackles, and they tried to tame them, but they've been unsuccessful. They liked to live among the tomb because they were wild, wild, you see, and so uh, this disturbed the community. This disturbed the people in the area. And they tried to do something about it, but they were unsuccessful. But what man cannot do, God can do. With men, these things are impossible. With God, nothing's impossible. And so one of them comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, and notice his language here. He says, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Did you know what he did right here? He acknowledged that Jesus was the Son of God. In James chapter 2, verse 19, James says, If you believe, you do well. For even so the devils believe and tremble. Now there's a difference in a devil believing and a person dead in trespasses, sins believing. A person dead in sins cannot believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But the devils do. The devils know who God is. The devils know they're in. He said, "Art Thou come to torment us before thy time. These devils believed in eternal torment. They believed the time was coming that they would experience eternal torment. They said, "Art Thou come to torment us before the time. This man's name is Legion, which means many. The Lord's going to cast them out. I want you to notice, they said, If thou cast us out, cast us into the swine. They make a request to the Lord, and the Lord gives them their request. The Lord cast them out, calls them to go into the swine. They run down a steep embankment, a cliff, go into the sea, and they're all drowned. And Mark tells us there was 2,000 of them. 2,000 swine perish in the water beneath. We find the people that were taking care of the swine go into the city and give a report of everything they've seen, everything that happened. So you would think, well, the people are going to come out here, and they're just going to praise the Lord and Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice, I want to back up just a minute. The Lord knew these two were on the other side of that sea. He knew that. He knew they were possessed with devils. And the Lord knew he was going to go over there and cast those devils out. And the Lord braved a tremendous storm to get across the sea just to do it. Isn't it wonderful what Jesus will do for you? What he will encounter, what he will endure for you? He cast them out into the swine. 2,000 perish. But the people of the city, when they get out there and see what was done, they made a request that Jesus would leave. That Jesus would leave. And Jesus answered their request. He left. The Lord's not going to hang around where He's not wanted. The Lord's not going to manifest Himself in a place where He's not recognized and appreciated. He's not going to do it. So He leaves. But the one in Mark, whose name was Legion, after He's, you know, to start with, He he didn't have any clothes on. He was streaking around. <laughs> streaking took place a long time ago. Anyway, he's streaking around. He didn't have any clothes on. He's a wild man. But after Jesus cast those devils out, the Bible says he was clothed and he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And he made a request to Jesus so he might follow him. And Jesus did not give him his request. He says, no, you go home and you tell what great things the Lord has done for you. So instead of following him on this occasion, in no sense he did follow him because he'd done what the Lord told him to do. You go home and you tell and show what great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion on you. Go and tell and go and show. So the man obeyed the Lord and went back and I'm sure he did exactly what the Lord said. Here's a community that operated in fear that now they have peace Because Jesus did what they couldn't do. That that wild man just broke the chains asunder. They didn't do anything. They didn't help him at all. Didn't change him. But one encounter with Jesus Christ turned the man's life around. One encounter with Jesus Christ solved the situation. Then we look in chapter 9 and we come to miracle number 7. All these could be a subject in a, in a sermon within itself. We're getting highlights here. He went to a ship and passed over and came to his own city. And behold, they brought a man to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And when Jesus seeing their faith, now there is four men that Mark tells us about. Four men are going to take this man who's sick of the palsy on his bed, and they're going to take him to a place where they know Jesus is at. When they get there, the house is full. And so they open up a place on the ceiling, and they just let him down right in front of Jesus. Now, I wish we were so full (laughs) that we had to do something out of the ordinary, something extraordinary for people to get in. That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? That'd be glorious. So far in my lifetime, I've never experienced that problem but this was a problem here, but they didn't turn around and go back home saying, well, we can't get in, the house is full. They said, well, what can we do? We'll just go on top of the roof. We'll tear a hole in the roof and we just let him down right there in front of him. And that's what he did. And the Bible says when he saw their faith, not his faith, but their faith, these four had faith. I believe the man sick of the palsy had faith. The first thing the Lord says unto him is thy sins be forgiven thee. Now he came for physical healing. He's a man sick of the palsy. He came for physical healing, but the first blessing he gets is not that. The first blessing he gets is, the fact, the Lord says, Thy sins be forgiven thee. What a blessing that is. And then he told him, he says, Rise up, take up thy bed and walk. And the man who came there on his bed is going to get up and walk out of there with the bed on him. The man left there in a lot better shape than he did when he got there, Right? When I think of this story, that's how I think about my life, my experience. When I come to worship here with you at Bethel Church, I always leave feeling better than I did when I got here. I'm feeling better right now than I did when I got here. And I hope I get to feeling better and better and better before I leave here. You know why I feel better right now than I did when I got here? Because my mind's focused on Jesus. I'm thinking about the Savior. I'm thinking about the Lord. I'm thinking about his love for me, his care for me, his concern for me, his compassion on me. I'm thinking about the many times I've let him down, but he's never let me down. I'm the many times that he's delivered me from the scene and the unseen dangers of life. I think about, uh, you know, the travels, the many times I have gone on trips here and there, and the many miles I've put on a car and, and through the air and one thing and another, and so far up to this particular day, the Lord has been with me. He's undergirded me. He's taking care of me. I'm thinking about him, and I'm just feeling better now than I was 10 seconds ago. I want to leave this place feeling better than I did when I got here. So why would somebody not want to come to the house of God? Somebody said, I know where you can go. And when you leave, you'll feel better than you did before you got there. And somebody, where is that? I want to know, where is that? Bethel Primitive Baptist Church, that's where it's at. You come here and you don't leave feeling better than you did before you got here. Something's wrong with you. How could you not feel better? You see the faces of friends, faces of brethren, faces of sisters. You feel the presence of the Spirit, the presence of Jesus Christ. He has been here. He's made himself known to you. He's met with you in his house. How could you not feel better? The man left there, and oh, they were not happy. Those Pharisees were not happy about it because he healed him on the Sabbath day. (laughs) He healed him on the Sabbath day because he said, "Thy sins be forgiven thee. They said, Who can forgive sins but God only? He showed them he was God manifest in the flesh. And then that's when he asked them the question, which is easy to do. Say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or take to the man, rise up and walk. Well, he told them to rise up and walk, which proved he had power and authority to forgive sins. And he went out of there. Can you imagine? It's hard to imagine how he felt. Coming there on the bed had to have four people to bring him there. I bet he outran the four going home. <laughs> carried his bed on him. <laughs> the multitude saw it, said they and glorified God. Now we have another interlude here. We're going to pass over this. We come to verse 18. He says, While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Here's another man of authority, but this man's a Jew. He, this man's name is Jay Iris. He was a Jew, the ruler of the synagogue. This man had power and authority, and let me tell you something. He knew that the rulers of that day rejected Christ. He knew the rulers of that day uh, were his enemies and not his friends, but he's willing to go against the grain. And he comes there and tells the Lord what the situation is, and the Lord follows him, so he thinks everything is okay, going to be okay. But as they're leaving, as he's following him, A woman comes up to him who's had an issue of blood for 12 years now his little daughter is 12 years old she's got an issue of blood of 12 years this woman has and when you read the other Gospels you'll find where she said if I could just touch the hem of his garment I'd be healed if I could just do that much if I could just make that kind of contact if I could just touch the hem of his garment I'd be uh, I could be healed See, the Jews wore their phylacteries on their shoulders and around and little tassels around the hem of their garments to give them identity as the people of God. And so they they think, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. And she works her way through. And while she does that, there's an interruption of Jesus following the man. Now, we're not told what the man thought, but just put yourself in his shoes. You've come to the Lord. You've got a 12-year-old daughter. She's desperately in need of the Lord and Jesus Christ. Christ says he'll follow you, and he's following him. And that's interrupted, but this woman here who comes up, she's got a great need as well. But notice the two different ones here. They both meet at the feet of Jesus. We have a man and a woman. We have a, a ruler of the synagogue. His name is given to us, Jairus. The woman's name is not given. She has no position of authority or recognition. He comes on behalf of another. She comes on behalf of herself. His daughter's 12 years old. She's had a disease for 12 years. She's spent all that she's got. She's none the better. But the Lord is going to cleanse her. She touches the hem of his garment. She has to work her way through great multitudes to be able to do it. She didn't give up. She was persistent. There's many blessings we fall short of receiving in life because we do not avail ourselves like we should. We're not as faithful, not as dedicated. We don't work our way through the crowds. Opposition uh, uh, slows us down. Opposition sometimes deters us. But I'm telling you, every effort you make will be well worth it. You'll never come uh, feeling short, uh, like you've been shorted with the Lord. The Lord will bless you immeasurably and abundantly in your efforts to seek Him and be with Him. Hebrews 11:6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, but he that cometh unto Him, he that cometh unto Him, he says, uh, He shall, and diligently seeks Him, he says, She shall be found. And this woman came diligently and she found Him, and she was healed. And then she was about to leave. And the Lord said, who touched me? And the disciple says, what do you mean who touched you? Many people had touched him, but not like this woman touched him. And he's wanting this woman to speak up. He's wanting this woman to say something. And when she saw uh, you know, what the situation was, she then had a testimony and a declaration of why she was there, what had taken place, and the fact that Jesus Christ had cleansed her from this disease of 12 years. Then the, man, then the Lord continues his journey. And he comes to the household of Jairus. And they send a report to Jairus, it's, it's too late. She's dead. The Lord says, she sleepeth. They laughed into scorn. And the Lord just put them out. The laughter and unbelief will always put you out. And the Lord put them out. He allowed her mother and father and the three disciples, James, John, and Peter, to go with them in there, and the Lord takes her by the hand and speaks to her and tells her to arise, and she arose. Now we've got the Lord doing a miracle where he raises somebody from the dead. What a blessing it was. Jesus was a doing man. Jesus displayed his care, his compassion, and his great power when he began to do all these miracles in succession, one right after the other. He's displaying, unleashing his great power of unclean spirits over devils, over the palsy, over lepers, over uh, the sick, those who had the fevers, and now over the dead itself. Nobody went away unhealed. And then we come to two blind men. There's more more, more uh, cases of where Jesus healed the blind than any other type of uh, disease or, or affliction. Blindness in the Word of God is a picture of ignorance. Jesus told Nicodemus, says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes and says, If our cost be hid, it's hit to them who are lost in the godless world, have blinded their minds. Second Peter chapter 1, we're told to add to our faith virtue virtue, knowledge and knowledge temperance, etc. And he comes down the last things to add charity. He said those that do these things, he says they shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they that feel, uh, fail, rather, it says they shall be blind and shall not see afar off and forgotten they've been purged with their old sins. Jesus is going to give them their sight. The two blind men come. It says, Thou son of David, a messianic title, have mercy on us. Who is coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said unto them, Believe ye, I'm able to do this? They said, Yea, Lord. Then he touched he their eyes according to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus strictly charged them, saying, See, thou tell no man. But they, when they departed, spread abroad the fame in all that country. <laughs> the Lord said, Tell nobody, they told everybody. I try to tell you everybody, nobody tells anybody. (laughs) And I said this before, I guess we just need to apply reverse psychology. So I'm just going to start telling you don't tell anybody about our church. Don't tell anybody what blessings you get. Don't tell anybody about the service uh, today. Uh, Just be mute, be quiet. Don't tell anybody. If I tell you all that, maybe you'll go out and blaze it abroad. (laughs) That's what they did. And they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. When the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. We find the Lord doing things they had never seen nor experienced in their lifetime. Notice verse 34. But the Pharisees said, He casted out devils through the prince of the devils. That was their attitude. They they were not going to give credit to God, not going to give credit to the Son of God. They said He cast out devils by the prince of devils. Now they repeat this a little further on, on another occasion. He cast out devils by Belzebub, the prince of devils. Have you ever heard anything any more illogical, anything any more ridiculous, anything any more (laughs) crazy than that? And the Lord taught them a man's house divided, it cannot stand. Why would the devil cast out devils? well he wouldn't (laughs) but that was their attitude but in the book of Mark the Lord says there was somebody that heard him gladly you know who it was said the common people heard him gladly they heard the words of the Lord Jesus Christ they rejoiced in it they heard him gladly the outcast no doubt loved him more can you imagine how the blind men must have felt can you imagine how the leper must have felt can you imagine how the little lady that had the disease of 12 years must have felt? Can you imagine uh, how the centurion felt? Can you imagine how uh, that J.RS the ruler felt? Can you imagine how the disciples felt? Well, we told you a little bit how they felt. We went through some of this. But just think about it just a minute. All the things that Jesus did for them. But let me tell you this in closing this morning. Before you were born of the Spirit of God, you had a hearing problem. You had a feeling problem. You had a seeing problem. You had a doing problem. When Jesus healed the blind men, he gave them sight. When he healed the hearing men or the deaf men, he gave them hearing. When he healed those sick of the palsy, he gave them the strength to walk. Let me tell you, when God born you of the Spirit of God, he performed every single one of those miracles in one stroke of his grace. When God born you of the Spirit of God, he gave you a hearing ear, a seeing eye, an understanding heart, the desire to labor, the desire to walk in the kingdom of God. He did it all at one time. He specializes, does he not? <laughs> you know, I, don't, I can't hardly keep up with how many doctors I've got. I've got my general practitioner. I've got my knee doctor. You know, I've got this doctor and that doctor. And if it ain't one wanting to see me, it's another one wanting to see me. You know, one thing and another. I'm just so thankful I can tell you about one doctor that takes care of everything. I can tell you about one physician that takes care of everything. I'm telling you about a specialist today uh, that you you don't go somewhere and he'll put you over here or put you over there. You've got one specialist. His name is Jesus Christ. He can take care of a broken heart. He can take care of the troubles and trials in your life. He can take care of the storms that come along. He can give you wisdom when you need it. He can give you strength when you need it. He can give you courage when you need it. He's a specialist in every single way, my friends. You don't have to worry about going and having more than one doctor. I got just one. His name is Jesus. And sometimes he just wants his name to be heard. Sometimes he just wants his name to be heard. That's why I like to talk about The gospel. I got a little thing, of tray with vitamins in it, one thing and another. Every once in a while, Karen wants me to add another one. Now, so I'm not sure these are doing any good. I'm glad in the house of God I take one pill. It's called the Gospel. It's got every spiritual vitamin I stand in need of in it. Anything I need is right there in that one pill. And I love taking that one. I love taking that one. The Lord unleashed his power on the devils. He unleashed his power on unclean spirits. He unleashed his powers on, on power on those who were sick with infirmities. He unleashed his power, my friends, on all the things that cause us so many problems here in life. He unleashed his power upon it and it proved to be triumphant over every single one of them in every case. Yes, he's the king of glory, the Lord of lords and king of kings.